Hey, Real Nerds listeners. There's many ways you can interact with the Real Nerds podcast. You can email us at realnerds at gmail.com. You can hit us on Twitter at Real Nerds. You want to check us on Facebook? You can. Just look for Real Nerds Podcast. You want to leave us a voicemail? Just call 720-6NERDS5. You want to listen to our episodes? You can check us out on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. You're back here in Hollywood making movies right now because of us. Because they believe in us and what we're doing. I'm on the phone with every studio at night. Insurance companies. Producers! And they're looking at us and using us to make their movies. We are creating thousands of jobs, you I don't ever want to see it again! Ever! And if you don't do it, you're fired! And if I see you do it again, you're gone! You can tell it to the people that are losing their homes because our industry is shut down. It's not going to put food on their table! Pay for their college education. So I'm sorry, I'm beyond your apologies. I have told you, and now I want it. And if you don't do it, you're out. We are not shutting this movie down! This is Real Nerds Podcast, a proud supporter of Pop Culture Classroom. I am Ryan. With me via Zoom is Brad. Hey. And Zach. Hello! And when movie theaters are open, every week we go see a new movie at the movie theaters. When that isn't available to us, we stream movies and we podcast our experience to the world. This week, we got a treat. Right, boys? Yes, we do. (laughs) This week, uh, our film is the last performance by uh, Chadwick Boseman. And it's uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mm Mm-hmm. Which uh, debuted on Netflix last week or Friday, I guess. I guess it's still technically last week. Debuted. Uh, yep. We'll tell you if you see the film, uh, play the trailer, then we'll spoil the movie, I guess. Uh, we'll also <laughs> talk about movie news, Blu-rays that are coming out, uh, basic movie stuff. That's what we do. We're a movie podcast, and today is a big day. This is Brad's four hundredth episode. And cue that celebratory music. Yay. How many episodes party? have I been on? Um, uh, 411. Oh, fuck. I can never take time off. <laughs> yep. Wait, you didn't even bring up my 400th episode. Fuck you. I know. I, I, I frequently overlook these things, but I just have to be checking, and that's how I found, found out mine. I'm also... You're also narcissistic, and you only care about yourself. I get it. Yep. <laughs> Let's see. Ten weeks ago, what, what would have been the episode? The, I don't know. Four hundred. A nerdemic episode? No. Uh, Devils. No, Holmes. The Noel Holmes one. No. Oh, that was your four hundred. What a lame fucking movie for my four hundred episode. <laughs> I know. I just, I just pictured narcissistic Brad, and it's just Brad making out with a mirror, and it was, it was goofy and then creepy all at once. <laughs> I don't think a narcissistic Brad could stand seeing myself. He'd break um, the mirror. <laughs> yeah, so, Ryan, if you missed 10 more episodes, I'd become the all-time leader. Never. Never. <laughs> and then I'm seven weeks away from eclipsing Zach's uh, consistency record. Wow. 
So. Yeah, whatever. I've got my own show now. I don't need you guys anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I mean, where does your show end up? What feed? My, I mean, oh, oh, your, yours. It started with you guys, and now it's on my own feed. <laughs> Zach's Wait. slowly moving away from this podcast. No, no, I'll never leave you guys unless you guys kick me oh, out for whatever reason. Way to bring that up, Brad. Now he's stuck here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brad. Here's that five bucks I owe you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I'm gonna buy me a hammock. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we'll start with. Movie news. It's real news. Um, well, we'll talk about some uh, a trailer that came out. Um, Peter Jackson's got a new documentary coming out about the Beatles, um, and it's about them getting ready to do their uh, first world tour within two years for the um, uh, recording of the album "Let It Be." Uh, we got some footage. It looks fantastic. Um, and if you saw Peter Jackson's They Shall Not Grow Old documentary um, from a couple years ago, then you might enjoy this outing. He's very good at making documentaries, as it turns out. So um, check out the Beatles Get Back trailer. Um, yeah. And then uh, we'll move on to some Marvel news. Um, Kevin Feige said that She-Hulk's going to be a half-hour legal comedy. <laughs> um Ryan, do, what do you know about She-Hulk? Is this something that's within its wheelhouse? I have no idea. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, she's Bruce Banner's cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a lawyer. Okay. And yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's All right, then. And this holds water. Yeah. <laughs> no reason to be afraid. Um, uh, we'll move on to some other television news. Um, we're getting a Clary Starling. Uh, show um it's going to be coming through cbs um and it's going to be a sequel to silence of the lambs but they are not allowed to mention hannibal lecter um similarly to how hannibal was not able to mention clary starling um so uh it, this this seems to have some stuff to do with the deals that are spread about for Hannibal, whether it's through MGM or Dito De Laurentiis. So um, now this isn't the first time we've had an instance where Dino De Laurentiis's company has interfered with something being mentioned in a movie. Um, because if I recall, Ryan, there was some certain stuff they weren't able to mention for Ash versus Evil Dead initially. Yep. Was it Army of Darkness or am I... No, well, I mean, the problem with the Ash stuff is each movie is a different movie company. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So there's always legal issues with Ash. Okay, cool. So then this is kind of a similar situation. But I do like the idea of a Clary, Clary Starling uh, series that has nothing to do with Hannibal. That sounds But you said it's cool. on CBS? Yeah, that's also what worries me. I'll but, pass. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you told me it was CBS All Access... I'd be interested, but or let's like be, AMC or something, then I'd be interested. Yeah, let's be honest though. We should just have more Hannibal because Hannibal was fun um, and creepy and holy shit crazy. Um, uh, so Mandalorian news. We're not going to talk about the obvious thing that's been floated around the internet like crazy, um, but there's going to be a spinoff series that will arrive next December. Um, and uh, it will be the Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> um, 
what is this something that I, I so I I got to watch Mandalorian this week, guys? Shit, I'm missing out on everything. Um, uh, but yeah, you look for that. Yeah, uh, I mean, with, it's they were going to make a Boba Fett movie. Maybe they're just taking the idea for the movie and changing it to a series. Yeah, it seems like it though. Then, um, but they're uh, the executive producers will be John Favreau and Robert Rodriguez, so um, they'll be spearheading that production. So good luck to them. Um, and uh, we got an update on that Lizzie McGuire revival. It's not happening. Uh, it seems like nobody was able to uh, uh, come to an agreement on what uh, the reboot should take form as. Hillary Duff has been noted as saying that she wanted the show to be a little bit more realistic and a little bit more adult. Uh, Disney Plus was scared shitless. Um, so is Lizzie McGuire's... Um, uh, originator Hillary Duff announced on her Instagram that the show will not be happening. So I'm sorry, all of you Lizzie, Gordo, and Miranda fans out there, but you're not getting that show. Um, it kind of sucks because if they were able to do a mature version of Lizzie McGuire, that would have been interesting to see. Um, but we'll never would know anymore. Been, are are you really jonesing for a Lizzie McGuire movie or show? I'm, I'm, I'm not particularly, but I remember watching that show with my sister and folks around my sister's age love that show, and they love that movie that came out in 2003 or four, the one that has Alex Borstein in it. That's all I remember about it. But um, uh, the but there is a following around that show. There is a cult around that show. So there are people who are jonesing for it. It's just that Disney Plus wants to recreate something that already existed, and Hillary Duff is logically going, well, Lizzie's an adult. If you want me back as Lizzie, she's an adult. So let's figure this out. And then Disney's like, all right, fuck you. We'll just relaunch it without you. <laughs> no, Disney Disney was like, fine, we'll just make another Boba Fett TV show. Um, <laughs> uh, so, but anyway, um, so sorry about, to all the Lizzie McGuire fans out there. We're not getting that. Um, but what we are getting is a mystery film from Universal starring Florence Pugh called The Maid. Um, it's about a maid who gets drawn into a murder mystery. Based on a book, sounds like fun. It's supposed to be kind of Agatha Christie style. Um, so yeah, I'm down for some more Florence Pugh. I think we all have enjoyed her in one or many things this last year. Um, mm. And uh, a little bit more um, movie news. Uh, this this is something I didn't expect, and I want everybody's opinion on it. Uh, Seth MacFarlane and the Lucas brothers, Keith and Kenny Lucas, um, are rebooting the Revenge of the Nerds. Um, <laughs> yeah um does it well well we've talked about the original revenge of the nerds on this show in a couple different forms and facets it's a movie that does not really hold up at all um but um i don't know ryan do you think i i i mean i think seth MacFarlane might be able to find something to do with it oh yeah like and i think something like seth MacFarlane doesn't care if he's politically correct so It'd be interesting to see what they come up with. Um, it says that it's going to be re- rebooted at 20th Century Studios, which, I mean, sure. Like, <laughs> it, it used to be called 20th Century Fox. Um, I'll never stop bringing that up. Um, this is more breaking news, really. Um, COVID-19 relief bill passed today, pretty much. Um, And it seems like that new bill designates $15 billion for movie theaters and live event venues. So there's a small lifeline being flooded over to the movie theaters and the uh, concert venues at last. So um, hopefully that means that these theaters will stay afloat enough to reopen. 
Um, I'm not sure. We'll see. Ryan, do you have any thoughts on that, or is it kind of just wait and see? Oh, I mean, they're going to have to either help the industry or they're going to – it's going to be trouble for everybody. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, the movie industry is brings a lot of money to everybody, mm-hmm. not just the movie industry. Yep. Marketing, um, uh, retailers, uh, people who work concessions and feed concession venues, lots of things. Um, move on to the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures. Hey, guys, it's going to open. No, it's delayed again. Uh, it's going to be opened in, and now it's moved to September 2021. Uh, this, is, this seems more, um, this seems more uh, in keeping with the fact that they're trying to figure out COVID parameters, but the museum's been announced that it's opening several times in the past, and it has kept delaying itself, so... Uh, when it finally opens, I will be happy to go because I want to see what Laura Dern did to get that thing rolling. Um, and then, so Zach, what were you talking about? I don't know if you heard it, Brad, but it was really broken up. Yeah, his intro to whatever that news was uh, just fell apart. The Academy Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Museum is has delayed its opening again. This time from April 2021 to September 2021. It's not worth it. <laughs> gotcha. uh, yeah. Um, Guys, we we talked about we're getting Jackass Four, um, and apparently already have we've already seen two people hospitalized uh, as the re, uh, as a result of filming, Johnny Knoxville and Stevo. Um, Johnny Knoxville, age forty nine, Stevo, age forty six, have been injured um, in, during filming of the of the movie. Uh, Ryan, I think in the two thousand six film explosion, we all talked about the fact that most of those people are basically on the way out if they try any more of this shit. <laughs> I'm not discouraging them from doing it, but I don't want people dying <laughs> for <laughs> Jackass Four. <laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, gonna be. I mean, you have to always up the ante. I mean, I don't know how they're going to up the ante of a slow motion dildo coming at them in 3D, but... Mm. Well, yeah, and I think that it's 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 very similar to the Toy Story 3 situation. Like, how can you top the perfect ending to the trilogy that was Jackass 3D? Um, but maybe this will be like Toy Story 4 for them, and they'll find a way to honor Ryan Durst. But anyway... Um, uh, the uh, the the news was revealed by Bam Margera, um, and uh, it said that uh, they injured themselves jumping on a full speed treadmill with band equipment, um, one of which was a fucking tuba, per uh, Magara's quote, who didn't, and then uh, they were flashing a devil sign gesture, signing off rock and roll. So I'm curious to see what that stunt looks like in the final film. But, well, hopefully they leave it in there. It'd be like their their Tom Cruise moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some I know Tom Cruise puts how this Jackass Four news seems much more harrowing for whatever reason. I think it's because again they look like they're gonna die. <laughs> like, um, and then the last piece of news. This is kind of tentative, but David Gordon Green who has already done very well with revitalizing the greatest horror franchise of all time, uh, is now looking to direct a sequel to The Exorcist for Blumhouse. I'm curious how this is going to work out, because The Exorcist belongs to Warner Brothers. 
So Blumhouse yeah, I mean, must be doing something. <laughs> can you just technically make a like a possession movie? I mean, does it have to be The Exorcist? Well, the the news says it's going to be a. It wants to uh, that Green is in talks to direct a sequel to William Friedkin's 1973 film, The Exorcist, for Morgan Creek and Blumhouse. Okay, so it's actually Morgan Creek that owns the rights at this point. So they could feasibly do it at Warner Brothers or at um, Universal. Um. But uh, yeah, it looks like Jason Blum and uh, David Robinson and James Robinson will uh, sign on as producers. Um, so yeah, um, I'd be curious to see what that is. Um, I also, I, I, it's, it's, it's different from the Halloween news where I'm kind of like, well, um, we'll see. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to be able to do. Are we going to get Linda Blair out of retirement again? Because that'd be neat, but... I don't know what the movie looks like. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and, and one of the priests gets thrown out. Like, both the priests die at the end of the first one, so we've got to come up with a whole new cool priest. And I don't, I don't know how we're going to find it. Maybe Oscar Isaac can do it. We need to give Oscar Isaac something to do. Make him a priest in The Exorcist 2. Uh, and that's news. Cool. Brad, are we able to go around town with you this week? Or are they, are they still showing stuff? No, nope, uh, that is it. They have closed for the season. Uh, announced today, actually. So, Well, yeah. hopefully it won't be too long of a closure. You know, cool thing about Colorado is winter is only a couple months long. Yeah, I mean, if they come back, uh, it'll be April. So, And hopefully by then, most people have the vaccine and um, everything else will be open. Hold on, hold on, Ryan. It's a couple months long and or whenever it decides to show up. <laughs> As a first responder, are you in line to get that vaccine? Uh, no, I'm 1A. I know uh, my wife got her uh, appointment is on Wednesday to get hers. Nice. Yeah. I mean, she deals with them all every day, so. Right. What about, because you guys are like in the close vicinity of her, like, like Kellen what, is in line to get one? Well, no, it's only for adults. So you have to be over 16 for the uh, Pfizer one and over 18 for Moderna. Mm. So, I mean, their goal is to have most adults, you know, get the vaccine and then, you know, then they can deal with the couple thousand people that get it every year that are too stupid to get one. Mm. Oops, did I say that out loud? (laughs) Did you also say that it's messed up that the people who are denying it and telling people to be lax about it are getting the yes. vaccine first. It's uh, I don't even know what to say with stuff like that. To tell you the truth. Um, yeah, it's, you, really should a, you should really get a vaccine. And if you don't, then you're just being silly. Yeah. I did find out Ryan. Um, I meant to text this to you earlier is that you, you are registered as first in line for the soldier series to become captain. So, you know, like congratulations, Ryan. I'm glad that you'll be the next cap. Well, you know, I could do it all day. <laughs> I would love Captain America, but with a with a with a uh, baseball cap on instead of his helmet. <laughs> all, right. all right, movies are coming out on Blu-ray. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Are they though? Because this lineup is <laughs> scant as shit. Because it's Christmas time, or holiday time, or any time. For me, it's a Friday when I'm going to watch The Mandalorian finally. Um, but 
if you are in the mood to pick something up this week, uh, Akira in 4K is being released. Um, the 1988 anime spectacular that I still have never seen, but Brad likes. Um, and then Warner Archive is uh, unloading some big guns with It Happened on Fifth Avenue. Uh, what A great movie called The Best Years of Our Lives, uh, which is directed by William Wyler, and it's a wonderful movie about uh, War II. Um, and then they are also putting out Ernst Lubitsch's Mace, The Shop Around the Corner, Margaret Sullivan, and of course, Jimmy Stewart. So if you want to pick that up, you should. Ryan had it, has, it, has it already, and I'm getting it on Thursday. Uh, and then The Craft Legacy, which apparently came out. Um, I'm assuming this was supposed to be a theatrical release that obviously did not happen I think because it, of the COVID. I think PVOD one of it. Ah, gotcha. Ryan, do you like The Craft, or are you indifferent about The Craft? It's Okay. Okay. I've never seen The Craft. I need to watch The Craft to make a decision about watching The Craft Legacy. Um, and then last but not least, the big release of the, of the year, really, of all time, of all time. Um, the War with Grandpa from 2020 with Robert De Niro and some kid is coming to Blu-ray. So if you want The War with Grandpa, you can pick it up. And that's Blu-rays. Yay. Don't worry, guys. Next week's even more scant. There's only literally one thing that's coming out next week. I wouldn't say literally, but yes. No, exactly. <laughs> Actually, I'm sorry. I'm, you're right. I'm wrong. There's two things coming out that week, one of which we know is garbage. The other one that I know is slightly less garbage. We watch movies throughout the week in a segment we call What We've Been Watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Brad, what have you been watching this week? Uh, not a lot. Uh, did you get caught up on The Mandalorian? I did. So you, you saw the season finale? I did. Awesome. It, uh, there, yeah, that last moment reminded me of um, Rogue One. <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty... Uh, pretty uh, they had to no do that on purpose, right? That's on yeah, purpose. I think so. Yeah, um, but it's uh, you know it's the the Mandalorian. I because I went after I watched season two. I went back and watched season one again. Uh, it's a really fun show. Yeah, uh, like it, it makes me feel like I'm watching reading the books from the nineties. Um, you know, it, it I, I just love how it expands on the universe that. Yeah, the, the main movies couldn't do. Yeah, so. um, it does, and you know, it's uh, I what I, I found really fascinating is if you go on to IMDb right now, the last episode, chapter sixteen, is rated nine point nine. <laughs> that one points off because the CGI on that face is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but it's thirty one thousand votes already, so um, it's universally loved. Yeah. No, it's it's other than that, like that's the only thing I had a problem with was like why like I, I don't have a problem with him recasting that character. Yeah. Um but judging from read, read, what I've read on the internet, a lot of people say that no one else can play that character ever. <laughs> hmm. Which will be interesting once that person actually passes on. But um yeah. uh but yeah, like 
it's not like that character is going to be in a bunch of episodes going forward. So, no, I mean they. Uh, what I what I truly love too about the Mandalorian is it started last year with uh, the child or Baby Yoda, whatever you want to call him, um, where they don't tell you what's happening, and it was kind of a surprise, and everyone fell in love with you know Baby Yoda, and then they're able to keep this one a secret pretty long. If you go to this actor's Twitter page, he tweeted the spoiler. So um, just talking about how grateful he is, but, um, and if you go to IMDB, he's on the cast now for it. Um, but cause he actually played it. So, yeah. So it's, um, it's one of those things where it's pretty great. And I mean, I'm not going to spoil it. I mean, I know Corinne loves spoiling things, <laughs> um, but I'm not going to spoil it. Cause I think people should go into it cold. And I, I watched three episodes on Saturday morning because I knew after it dropped, because I started getting alerts on my Twitter about the Mandalorian and I knew it was going to be spoiled for me. So, yeah, I was, I was up working and then, uh, you know, Corinne was reminding me, Hey, the finale tonight. So don't, you know, see it as soon as you can. And uh, I was at work, so I didn't, you know, I could just watch it right away. And then all of a sudden I just checked Twitter to find out like what else is going on in the world. And then just right away, the hashtag, Oh. That spoiler! I was like, "Oh, great. yeah." That's the my alert just kept on alerting uh, the Mandalorian. So I'm like, "Oh, I better watch this and not pay attention to social media for a couple hours." Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I mean, I'm surprised she didn't spoil it for you because she loves spoiling things. Well, she kind of did because she did, she did tweet about it. <laughs> um, oh, did she? <laughs> yeah. So, kind of after, like that was the first thing I saw, and then I saw you know, the Twitter hashtags and everything based on what she was talking about. So. Well, it, it's funny. Cause <laughs> I mean, I guess we all have the friend who will, she, uh, when rise of Skywalker, uh, the day before it came out. And I mean, we saw the first showing of it. Um, but, uh, she <laughs> sent me this link saying, Hey, I read all the spoilers online. Do you want the link? <laughs> and then I said, fuck no, I don't want the link. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I don't know, Brad, I know you and I are kind of the same. I don't know if Zach's saying, I like, it's so hard to go into movies cold now. Um, that's why I really liked the dark and the wicked. Cause I never even saw a trailer for it. Yeah. So, I've, I've kind of, been, I, I, I kind of ignore trailers for movies in general now, unless I'm like, you know, at the theater forced to watch them. Um, but like the stuff that drops on the internet, I kind of wait like a while to even check out. I, yeah, but I, you, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Zach. Sorry. I was going to say, like, I'm I'm in your guys' camp. However, I've grown acclimated to the environment where everybody talks about everything the moment they see it. So, like, I actually, like, held back on watching the tra- uh, the full trailer for Mank when it came out. Like, the teaser was enough for me. So I didn't even watch a full trailer for Mank until, because I was just like, I don't want to see any more. It's not like a spoilery thing, but it's just like, I don't want to see any more footage. I want to go into this as clean as I possibly can. All I wanted with the teaser was to be like, oh, good. Does it look pretty? Okay, fine. I'm done. Um, But but with Star Wars, like, I mean, my uncle, Jeff, um, who, if he ever comes into town, you guys need to meet up with him. But he's a huge Star Wars fan, like, like, dedicated to his core. And he and my cousin were texting about, or were posting about this all over the place. And I was like, well, goddammit. 
And like, and he's just like, it's your fault. And I'm like, I understand that, but <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that stuff's gone. You know, there is some that I, re- I can't help myself when uh, the Batman trailer dropped. I probably watched it four times. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, when a Spider-Man drops or something like that, I'll watch it. Cause I'm still hearing that uh, they're going to release something before the end of the year. Um, yeah, when, when an MCU thing drops, I will I will latch onto it because I'm like, oh, what are they doing today? Like that, I, I am curious about. It. Like the Falcon and Winter Soldier um, trailer was the one that I was the most eager to see out of that whole lineup. So like, there's still stuff that'll entrance me, but yeah, Star but Wars, it, I try to keep myself as far away as I can now. It, so. It's dangerous because um, one, just like uh, the Mortal Kombat fans, I've talked about this before. I think Star Wars fans are some of the worst fans on the internet. Um, because they believe that those characters are theirs and they, they get upset when it doesn't go how they want it to go. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's very fair to the artists who make this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if you read my top 20 Blu-rays of 2020, I mentioned this in my review of Rise of Skywalker where, um, people have a, um, wanted course correction so bad on the last Jedi that there's some parts that just like cringe worthy, you know, it's, um, it's, they, it's just they felt like, like they had to make up for it, but I think you should allow them to tell the story they want to tell. I agree that, that it's, if you were, if, if you want star Wars, the way you want star Wars to be, then you can write your own version of it, or you can work your ass off and get to Lucasfilm and write your own star Wars movie, but you're not the one writing it. And Honestly, like the thing that I've said about Star Wars since Rise of Skywalker has been ultimately like this is the first time the franchise has been in the hands of people that are not George Lucas supervising everything. So, of course, it's going to be different and going to feel different and look different. And so, I mean, like, it seems like The Mandalorian has really appeased people to the point where even I'd like it. So, like, I... Mandalorian's really great. Um, Well, I don't know. Brad, do you get um, upset when your favorite franchises, be it Turtles or Batman, don't go the way you want? Or are you able to separate the two and still enjoy it? Like, I still enjoy anything Spider-Man. I, I can find stuff that I enjoy in it. Yeah, I like, it's a, it's definitely a recent thing. Like, when I was a kid and, um, you know, stuff that I like would, would change, you know, I, I get defensive about it. But now, like, I've been through so many reboots and reimaginings of things. Like, you know, I, I understand, like, as long as, you know, no one pulls the originals like like limits access to them for me then you know it's no big deal go ahead change whatever you want um the stuff i love still exists yep yeah and i say that too you know and especially with comics and things like that when people get so bent out of shape about a story most of the time they're going to be retconned anyways so if you stick with it i mean how many things actually stay how they are uncle ben and bruce wayne's parents are pretty much the only people that will stay dead you know yeah yeah. Um, yeah, like stuff has to change because otherwise it'll just fade into obscurity, like and yeah. lose relevance. Like when a when a movie studio, you know, fast tracks some reboot of a property, it, like it, you know, it you know it turns out mediocre. It's really like them just trying to hang on to the rights more than just yeah. You know, they they roll the dice and hope they have a hit, but overall, like it just happened because they wanted to keep the rights. So. And I think now too, um, there's a lot of people that are, you know, our age, whether it's John Watts or 
uh, Matt Reeves who are fans of this stuff and they're going in and making the movies and they know that they can pull off, you know, the comic book stories where, you know, in the eighties with or 89 Batman, why it's a good movie, you know, you couldn't do a straight Batman story, but now they go, Oh, you know what? The comic books serve a purpose and we can do the long Halloween or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm actually it's not just it's not just a character you can put into like some kind of story that doesn't make sense for the character. Now you can actually draw from its history and its lore. Well, I think people are more accepting. I think that's what the Marvel movies and the Batman Begins trilogy have done Mm -hmm. is it's allowed people to say, you know what? You can have, you know, Iron Man look like Iron Man. You can have Mysterio have a globe on his head. The X-Men don't need black spandex suits. No. (laughs) Um, They make a joke about it because you don't want them to look comic booky. But now people go, no, that's awesome. That looks cool. You're like, that's what I want. (laughs) Um, Actually, Ryan, I have a, I have something to to pitch out to you within this. Like I, 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 there's, it seems to be dependent on which horror fan you ask, but horror fans have been getting put through this test for years because how often have we stuck by our own respective franchises, regardless of whatever goofy change they make? Like yeah. Halloween, Halloween, there was backlash on Halloween because of the Dr. Sartain character in Gordon Green's version. And I kept going like, guys, they killed him. He's not coming back for the sequel. <laughs> well, in that instance, I would almost argue too that, I mean, I love Friday the 13th, but Almost every Friday the 13th is a reboot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Really no continuity. Really, the, the only two movies that have continuity, well, the only one that follows continuity is part four because it picks up right at the end of part three. Right. So, which, doesn't, doesn't part two pick up right after? It does, but like... But then it jumps forward like a year. No. Like he, uh, he's not wearing the same clothes though. I, I don't know. Um Unless he changes his clothes, he takes him off the, <laughs> the um, clothesline before he kills that shopkeeper. Well, you know Jason has some laundry to do after he kills. He's not a true monster. He, or like, he's a monster, but he's not an animal. He washes his clothes. They try to reboot it with Tommy Jarvis being the killer. Then part mm-hmm. six, they try to course correct it, but they made Jason a zombie. Part seven takes place, I don't know how many years after part six, <laughs> with... Uh, so I think they're all like soft reboots anyways. Seven definitely takes place in the nineties. If we're adhering to their time jump logic, <laughs> yeah. this is their version of the nineties. Um, but like, yeah, like, and also like anytime they remade or uh, re-energize, like, I mean, the, the Rob Zombie Halloween series is a good example of like when they remade it, like people were, you know, banging at the doors and kicking things and going like, how dare they? And I'm like, yeah, I get it. But you know, like, you know, somebody's going to try their own thing with it. And it's just, it's, you don't have to love it, but they didn't, nobody took away John Carpenter's Halloween or Sean Cunningham's Friday the 13th. Like you could still watch those movies. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Like I, I don't get begrudged by it anymore. I go like, this is their version. I'm going to meet it on that level if I can. Anything else, Brad? Sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, I watched uh, Big Mouth season four, and that show's gross. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, it's definitely trending. It's interesting. It seems to be trending more in like a BoJack Horseman sort of trajectory, where the episodes are becoming more poignant. 
and like less shocking. I mean, they're, they're still shocking, but like just, you know, less, uh, a little more sentimental. So, uh, yeah, I watched that. And then I also watched the third seasons of uh, The Marvelous Miss Maisel. And that show's great. And I only just now realized how very much, like I get the, the same vibe of the Dick Van Dyke show out of that show. Hmm. Um, you never watch it. Now you make me want to watch it. Yeah, like I was like, man, I'm like, why isn't Ryan watching this? This seems like totally up his alley. Um, and it's in season three already. So, because uh, uh, this oh. season has more, uh, you know, uh, Midge is now kind of like a full-fledged comedian on the road. So there's like a, you know, she's like doing USO shows and just reminds me of like the flashback episodes, the Dick Van Dyke show when Rob was in the army. Um, Stuff like that. And, uh, you know, there's there's not a lot of uh, turmoil going on other than uh, like her parents have, are kind of, like they sold their, their uh, family apartment and they're kind of uh, floating around trying to find a place to be. And then you know, Midge is on tour uh, with Shy Baldwin. And then, um, you know, it's just kind of like random stuff happens. But the, the, this, the finale of the season is heartbreaking because you totally know what's coming and it deflects it and makes you think like, oh, you know, this obvious thing you thought was going to happen isn't going to happen. And then it does happen. And you're just like, Oh man, what a way to leave the season like on that note. So, um, and that's really vague for both of you having not seen it, but it's been recommended to me several times because of its connection to older comedy. So I definitely need to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Like the production value on that show is great. Like it really is authentic to that era and just the performances you know it's amazing how some of the side characters have become so much more prominent um yeah i just yeah like the biggest revelation was just like oh yeah this definitely feels like i'm reliving dick van dyke show like i wish they you know this was like a color version of that like modern color version so well you sold me on it yeah check it out um like I said, that like that's, I'd say season three is most like that. Um, I mean, the first two are still great, so just just probably less less showy. Um, yeah, that's all I watched. Zach, I didn't go through a lot, but um, I did. <laughs> I'm gonna have a bunch to talk about because I got a huge haul at um, Second and Charles of um, older titles, including Arsenic and Old Lace. So. Um, which I hadn't watched. I haven't watched it in a while, but um, Brian, I did look at the DVD of it and it is just like a, uh, a reprint of the, the worst version imaginable. So yeah, I, think, um, I think my version is in one of those uh, screen grades with Cary Grant. Okay. I got the one that's like an individual title version of it, but it, it like the, the cover art looks like they just literally stuck Cary Grant and Priscilla Lane uh, in uh, in cutout form and then just put regular like it's like modern day rom-com font arsenic and old lace um, but obviously that movie is a dark movie about poisoning people um, but anyway it's a wonderful movie I need to rewatch it and I will this week but this week though um, I sat down and I actually watched um, a, a, a TCM vault title that I had picked up a couple months back uh, called Artists and Models. Um, it's a Jack Benny movie, but 
there's there's more things going on in the movie. It's 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 kind of weird, Ryan, and I kind of want you to watch it, but not for the Jack reasons. There's some weird shit that goes on in this movie that I had completely forgotten about because the last time I had saw it was on like a VHS copy from the library. This movie, um, it's directed by Raul Walsh, and basically the plot is Jack plays the head of a modeling agency who's trying to find the um, right model to be the queen of the artists and models ball so that he can land a million dollar contract with a silver production company. Um, and then it turns into a, you know, a mismatched comedy of errors kind of deal. But there's being that it's a comedy of the era, there's a lot of like sidetracks to, you know, like musical numbers and singing numbers and even some comedy routines with Judy Canova and Ben Blue. And at one point they turn it over to somebody's orchestra, but it's not an orchestra, Ryan. It's a puppet show. And it's the most devilish looking puppet show I've ever seen in my life. It starts off with instrument puppets playing themselves. And then Ben Blue, who was a dancer of its, of his era, gets on stage and dances with at least 10 dancing puppet girls in the weirdest fashion that I've ever seen in my life. And the only thing that really brings it back up in terms of a film is there's a musical number with Louis Armstrong called Public Melody Number One, which it's it's one of the things it's most known for. Problem is, is that today it's hard to watch it because Martha Ray, a white woman, is doing is in full black makeup um, in the number itself. It's hard to watch that part when you're watching Louis. It's awesome when you're watching Martha Ray. You're going ew, not because it's Martha Ray, because of what she's doing. Um, but the movie itself all around, like Jack's good in it. Ida Lupino's in it. It's one of her earliest film roles before she even thought about going into directing in the mid forties. Um, and it also has um, uh, uh, some uh, other notable actors of the era, but it, it's a cute movie overall. Like it's not, it, it, it's got some interesting things about it. Raul Walsh's direction is usually on point and this is no different. Um, and then I watched a movie called man about town. Um, which you'll hear more about in February with a Ballyhoo episode. But um, it's kind of funny because there's a lot of people in there that Ryan and I have watched over the past couple of months kind of culminating in one circle because Phil Harris is in it, Dorothy Lamore's in it, and Monty Woolley, our beloved Monty Woolley from The Bishop's Wife is in that movie, Ryan. Um, <laughs> and uh, he plays a Frenchman and it's adorable. Uh, and I and I love it. Um <laughs> But yeah, it, it's a it's a cute movie. It's a movie that's hard to find. Um, so if you need to seek it out, um, good luck. Um, and then for Film Club, we watched Miracle on for- 34th Street, the original version with Edmund Gwen. That movie is still wonderful and practically perfect in almost every way. Um, it, it, I don't like the remake that they did in the 90s that much. Um, so maybe that's why I was really like loving revisiting this film with the film club. Um, but like that, this version, Edmund Gwen, who is a Hitchcock staple. He plays a guy, he plays a guy who's actually Santa Claus. Nobody believes he's Santa Claus. And then he gets put on trial. Um, and and we, everybody had a blast watching it. It's still a wonderful film. Um, uh, but yeah. And then that's all I watched this week. And Ryan, I wanted to bring up something to you on that artists and models disc. So mm-hmm. I figured out why. 
or at least partially why we might have issues getting some of those films. There's a, te- a text slug at the beginning of that disc saying that this print from 1937 is damaged and these are the only elements we have remaining. So we are trying to present this in the best possible way. So more than likely, a lot of films that we hear about, they have the rights to, they have a print, but it might be uh, damaged beyond repair to the point where it's unwatchable. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how many films that I particularly would want to see do actually have good copies and they're just not putting them out or are these actually damaged to the point where it's not worth showing them? Damn um, fools back then. I know. Like I, I, I yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's all I watched this week. Ryan. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't watch too much. In fact, I only watched two things this week. Um, one of them was, uh, I got the Tex Avery screwball comedy classics volume two. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Um, it's, more cartoon goodness. Um, no, the cartoons corn aren't quite as good as they were on volume one. Volume one kind of brought out like the ringers. Um, but a really famous one and really popular one is uh, the great Puccini. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a story about this magician who wants to open for this world famous opera singer and he's not given an opportunity. So he sneaks into the performance as a con- as the uh, conductor of the uh, opera, and instead of using a timing stick, he uses his magic wand, and so then he changes uh, <laughs> the dog into different things, and it's the first time, I guess it's been uncut in a really, really long time, and I can see why. There's, like, tons of um, <laughs> like racial insensitive stuff. Um, they this, The dog gets ink sprayed on his face and he does like a blackface routine. Um, Mm. It's known as one of Tex Avery's best, but also one that hasn't been seen in a really long time. Um, And and I mean, I can see why it's funny, but yeah, it's a little insensitive for sure. Mm. Um, There's one with uh, the big bad wolf and red hot riding hood. Um, and this time it's the country bumpkin guy who goes into uh, the city where he meets Red Riding Hood. And, uh, but before he goes in the city, his Red Riding Hood is this like country bumpkin girl. And it's really funny. Um, the, the, that, that version of that character ended up being um, part of the culmination of that uh dupe jessica rabbit that eddie valiant is running away from yeah. in toontown <laughs> oh man <laughs> yep pretty much I mean, they look exactly alike <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but uh one of the big draws for volume two i mean the cartoons are great um there's a i think seven or eight droopies in them and they're all really funny um very the, funny sir <laughs> yeah uh but the uh, one of the big draws is there's a documentary called tex avery the king of cartoons i think it was made in the like 88, 87. Is it the whole thing? Yeah. Oh. And uh, so, yeah, it's like uh, an hour and like two minutes or something like that. Maybe not quite that long, but it has interviews with like Chuck Jones and stuff like that. So it's pretty great because um, oh. Tex Avery died pretty young. So, or like in the seventies, maybe. Uh, he was pretty young though. Like if, yeah. uh, considering what he could have aged out to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's really cool. It has, and, but what's really fascinating is they have the shorts you know clips cut into the documentary and you can Mm -hmm. see how well warner archive cleaned them up and 
released them. It's it's pretty awesome. Um, There's a recommendation that I could make to people who have just heard that and want even more. If you have the Looney Tunes Golden Collection Volume 1 uh, on DVD, they have split up amongst the four discs The Boys from Termite Terrace, which is like a documentary they did covering the history of Termite Terrace. And it's I wish it was all together in one and not divided up into segments, but that that's like something similar where they actually have some archived interviews with Avery in there along with Jones and Freeling and um, uh, not Clampett. Clampett wasn't really talking, um, but yeah, you, know, you get what I'm saying. But yeah, that whole world's like fucking fascinating. It is. It's good stuff. Um, and the last thing I watched is um, the Criterion, uh, the Lady Eve, which uh, stars Henry Fonda and Barbara Stanwyck. Gorgeous. And, and it's another uh, star-crossed lovers on a cruise. But where this one's a little different is the dialogue in it is really funny. Um, it's really uh, sexual. And um, Stanwyck is amazing in the movie. In it, Henry Fonda plays um, a very wealthy beer brewer or heir to a brewery empire. And while he's there, he meets um, Barbara Stanwyck's character. Um, and they, they fall in love. And as the movie goes along, you find out that she really is um, a card shark. And they're trying to basically get all the money from him and basically uh, rob him without robbing him through a card game. And, um, you know, Henry Fonda's character, Charles, finds out about it, but I think Jean is her name, falls in love with him, and he spurns her. And then he shows up, she shows up at uh, his house, his estate in Delaware, Maryland, I can't remember, as Eve the English like niece of one of his, the guy's friends. And um, he falls head over heels for Eve and ends up marrying her. And um, it's a really interesting film about, it, you know, in the thirties, there's a lot of films about um, how uh, stupid the rich people are and money doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. I mean, I think this one's forty-one, so I don't think it's still kind of on that teetering on the thirties. But they're still, but they're still addressing those those post-depression or not even post-depression, mid-depression issues. Yeah, like, um, but you know, Stanwick is so easy to fall in love with. You know, she's she just commands the screen. She's funny, um, talented, and um, and I'm also a huge a huge fan of Eugene uh, Paulette. Because he has that voice where he's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> he's in a lot of movies. And every time I see him, I'm like, oh, he's kind of like a, if there was a, like a porky pig come to life, it'd be that guy. There would be a great uh, challenge for us, Ryan, at some point to find an actor that we know we've seen in at least more than five and track to see how many films of theirs we can find. We're not going to find them all. But yeah. like... You you can find like you can find Sterling Holloway strewn about the late thirties and and into the forties before he even becomes Winnie the Pooh, like he's all over the damn place. Yeah, it, he's just one of those guys. Because I'm if 
you can correct. I think he's Friar Tuck in Robin Hood. I believe so. Yeah, um, and, I'd have to double check. I could be wrong. Um, but I know he's in My Man Godfrey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he just his voice is so unique and his stature is so unique that um, he, he you know he reminds me of uh, speaking of the Dick Van Dyke. Brad, the episode where um, they're trying to name Richie, and it's the one guy who's like, Ulysses, U-L. <laughs> That's how the guy sounds. So he stand, he sticks out like a, like a sore thumb in movies, but he's a really fun actor. Um, yeah, and the criterion is first rate. Ryan, we were right. It is Eugene Pallette as Friar Tuck in Robin Hood. Yep. Nice. Score one for you. Hit that basket. You know, every once in a while. I mean, I could oh, just get more often than not internet because <laughs> I mean, it's available. That that reminds me. Next time we meet up in person, I'm getting you the Great McGinty, the the uh, Universal Vault DVD that I have because that you'll like that movie a lot. It's Sturgis, so. I'll yeah, I'll totally watch it. Yeah, they have a, a Preston Sturgis like mini doc on this Blu-ray, so um, definitely check that out. Um, is one I blind bought at uh, Barnes & Noble when Criterion was having their half-off sale. It's because you fell in love in the image of Henry Fonda, didn't you? You were no. like, ooh, see that face, huh? <laughs> no, you know, I always like uh, Stanwyck and, you know, then Preston Sturgis because Sullivan's Travels was great. I said, you know what? I'll take a chance on it. And it was well worth it. But then you stayed for Henry Fonda. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and that's how I watched this week. Um, this week we streamed Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Brad, should people stream Ma Rainey's? Uh, yeah, I think it's pretty good. Um, it's very much, it's based on a play. And I think, uh, the staging of the movie is very, I felt very much like I was watching a play. Um, but it, it, I think it's a scope that has me not liking it fully. Um, it's really like kind of almost like vignettes on the black experience, which is a good spotlight to um, be shined on, but that's about it. So Zach, should people stream Ma Rainey? I think you should. Um, I was unaware that this was an August Wilson thing. Um, and I was very unaware up until Chadwick Boseman's passing that this is something that Viola Davis was in. Um, and I walked, I, I walked out of my own house, very surprised and, um, enthralled by it and shocked by it at multiple times. It's, it's a wonderful film. You should watch it immediately. Yeah, it's a good movie. Um, I, I really liked it, but I, I mean, I feel the same way, Brad, watching it. Um, I could tell that it was only set to a couple, um, how would you, I, I guess scenes, um, or, uh, locations, um, but you should definitely see it for Chadwick Boseman's performance because it's incredible. Um, mm-hmm. And here's here's the trailer for Ma, for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. A one, a two, a you know what to do. This would be an empty world without the blues. I try to take that emptiness and fill it up with something. But they want to call me Mother Blues. That's all right with me. It don't hurt none. (laughs) 
singer from the 1920s 1930s blues singer and, i'm sorry blues singer blues and um and this is kind of a not a true story of what happened with her but i guess a dramatization of what their experience as a blues singer in 1920s in um a world that's dominated by um white folk and you know, it really highlights her band, but anytime Viola Davis is on screen, she definitely commands it, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's it's really fun. I, I liked the energy a lot in this movie. Um, you know, the setting up with the music, and I thought um, Chadwick Boseman's uh, timing and uh, performance were uh, amazing. Uh, his <laughs> his arc is really fascinating um, throughout the movie. Um, yeah. If, uh, I'd say for like a good 10, 15 minutes, like I couldn't f- quite figure out what the movie was trying to do. Um, and then after Chadwick Boseman, um, you know, does his first story, I guess. Um, yeah. It's just, it's like an acting tour de force for the rest of it. So yeah. Right. Like, like it wasn't until like the latter half of the movie, I was like, oh, okay, this is just, um, you know, the, the, this whole recording the record, uh, the Black Bottom uh, song is just a backdrop for uh, all these actors to tell stories about, you know, being black at that time. Yeah, it's really fascinating too because there's that. Um, so Ma Rainey in it is this, you know, this force and she's not very likable because it's her way or it's nothing because even Levy, who is Chadwick Boseman's character wants to punch up black bottom, the song in it. And she's against it. And you don't know why she is acting the way she does. And then she has this great 
moment with uh, Cutter, or is that that's is that right? Yeah, Cutter, um, uh, and, Cutler, played by Coleman Domingo. Coleman Domingo. And uh, yeah, so she has this great moment where why she acts the way she does, mm-hmm. and basically she says, once that's on record, then they don't need me anymore. Yep, and it's um, the disposability of singers. Uh, singers in general but specifically black artists of that period because once they have them on record they don't need to put up with the hassle of like what they would see as an issue like like and because you know again this you know this is back in an era when you know the 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 prejudice line is is thick as shit um and uh i i will i I will bozeman He's great when he started. The moment he goes into that monologue about his mother and his father and don't tell me about white folk is I I love the way it's shot and I love every single thing he does in that moment. It is like one of the most like that's that's one of the two Oscar clips you show if you're going to oh, yeah. you know give yeah. him a posthumous. The other one being um uh when he uh, has his knife and he's about to give Cutler a good, uh, a good talking to about God. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those performances where he's, I'm going to say it now, he's probably going to be honored with the Oscar mm-hmm. because he deserves it. Um, but it also makes you really sad because you see how great he is. And how much more we could have had. Yeah. I mean, he's great. In, he's great in everything. I mean, I, in 42 and all that stuff. So Marshall, uh, he's fantastic in Marshall, a movie that I didn't think I'd like. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, what's really, you know, anytime an actor dies like that and they have, and they have one more like performance and it's this one that is just captivating and mesmerizing like Heath Ledger. There's you're, you're always left with these what ifs, you know? Oh yeah. And he's definitely one that is going to be what if, because this this performance he does is pretty astounding. He is. I mean, again, yeah, he would deserve that Oscar. I want to touch back on Viola Davis for a second, though, because I, I don't know when the last time you would have seen Sunset Boulevard is, Ryan, but she was giving me uh, she, she was giving me Norma Desmond vibes uh, the way she played certain moments in the movie. Because she, one, she commands the screen, as you said, but two, she's giving off that um, diva thing. But the difference between this and a Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard is that she has she has a reason for being the way she, that she is. It's not like it's not fully acceptable, but like when she goes again into that monologue with Cutler and different isolated things in between, like when she's asking for the Coke and she's getting angry that she doesn't have the Coke, like you start realizing like how much she's like, she's going to milk this for all it's worth because she knows she's disposable to them. Um, and then um, uh, Glenn Turman playing Toledo. It's like one of those like soft background characters um, that doesn't really play up an emotional huge part until the end when, I mean, we're in spoiler territory now when, when Levy stabs him (laughs) because of scuffing his shoes. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I was like, I was floored. I was like, I did not see that coming. This is 
a, 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 and like a, a, an astounding way to end, end end this kind of movie. Um, yeah, it seemed and, like really kind of out of like over the top left field, you know. I, I didn't feel like it was left field, especially when Levy's somebody who's just had his music stolen and he's just had the revelation that the white man's going to steal whatever he can from him and not give him credit or just give him the five bucks and let him go. Cause it ultimately ties into that final shot, which <clears throat> is funny. We were talking about walk hard a couple weeks back or a couple months back now, Jesus freaking quarantine. Um, the, you know, the scene when they're talking about, you know, the, uh, the the suppression of black artists by uh white people in the music industry like this movie literally gives you that in the form of that ending when levy's song is being played by it seems like paul whiteman's orchestra (laughs) from what i can gather because of the appearance of them but like it's kind of like i've never seen i don't think we've ever seen a movie address that directly the way ma rainey does um so i feel like it was justified it it was a little bit abrupt and I will say that the movie, the only thing that troubles me is I don't particularly love the transitions from scene to scene that are clearly supposed to be the breaks in a scene change for the play. Um, but I got past it pretty quickly. I thought the opening was really uh, clever because I, you know, I I started up, I, I thought it was going to be, you know, these characters trying to escape a plantation or something. And it turned out they were just going to Ma Rainey's you know, like backwoods concert thing. Um, I, yeah. I don't know if that was intentional or is it just me. Um, I thought they might have. I when I when we were when they were talking about his father um, going back to hunt down the people who uh, attacked his wife, I thought it might have been alluding to that imagery. But no, it it, it is just people going to that backwater concert, um, and then it, the way it transitions into her becoming a big sensation on stage and. Um, it has the same energy as the opening to Chicago, but then it becomes more interesting than the movie Chicago. <laughs> and that's a movie I like. So, you know, it, it, it does a great job with that stuff. Um, yeah, sorry I if love- I repeat this. I stepped away for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you guys talked about the stuff that maybe wasn't your cup of tea. I really didn't like the end of Levy's uh arc where he murders the dude in the band i was just i was just talking about toledo um the and i i was pointing to the fact that the way it makes sense ultimately is he's had his world shattered when the guy who was asking him to write these songs specifically then tells him like well we're just going to give you five bucks a piece we're not going to have you perform them because it's it's not even it's it's general that era give them your song you have no residuals to them or to the comic book thing where you give characters over to these public companies and then own them no uh, i get that but why did he have to kill the dude uh, in the yeah, I mean, it is it very he much was, like a he text was emotionally movie. distraught it is very much like a poster example for uh that escalated quickly yeah no i agree because <laughs> yeah i mean i understand that he shot but like you're going to resort to murdering some dude because he stepped on your shoe and had really nothing to do with you being upset I don't know. It just seemed tonally not right to me. Yeah, I, I get the motivation. It's just, it was just like it felt like they needed a big finale for the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, like otherwise, everyone would just go home at that point. But um, yeah, but I yeah. think it was. Enough, I mean, I think you didn't have to kill the dude in the original ending, where it's an all-white band and a white artist singing his song. I think spoke loudly too. 
Oh, that that was the original ending. I mean, that's what I would. No, I don't know what the original ending is, but that's. Oh yeah, I told. I told you, I totally you, you say, it there. You should say it should just cut to that moment. Yeah, instead of him killing a band member, it should have cut to him losing his song because that's heartbreaking into itself. You know. I don't know if this justifies it per se, but they had been building up tensions throughout those scenes with discussing God and their own personal histories with each other. Yeah, no, so I mean, like, I, I, I understand all of that, but I don't think it's necessary. And I don't, I don't like the character choice, but I mean, again, it's not mine, but it just, that's why it went from, you know, a really great movie to me to a pretty good movie. Okay. Not necessary. I was since you went away, Ryan. What did you think of that last shot in terms of like? Because we were talking about it with Walk Hard a couple months back about the idea of you know black artists being you know fucked out of their the the, the rights to their art, and that last shot of the movie is very exemplify exemplary of that situation, like in a way that I've never seen before. Well, I mean, it's it's just par for course, right? I mean. It sounds horrible to say, but is it really that shocking to us that, that that happened to those guys? No, it's not shocking, but I don't think there's been a movie apart from Walk Hard that's addressed it as directly as this movie does. Well, I mean, um, yeah, because, I mean, Levy's lied to his face where he says, it just doesn't sound right. And basically what he was saying to um, a young black artist is, I don't want you to sing this song because of who you are. And it had nothing to do with how it sounded. It's he was going to cheat him out of the music he wrote. And he already said, he said, you asked me to write those songs. And he said, yeah, for $5. And there you go. Piss mm-hmm. off. Yep. Is, is how it, so he basically got his music stolen from him. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. Anything it's, else we like about the movie? Uh, I mean, yeah, that's. Yeah, the, the acting's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of like it's very much a play where like everything kind of exists in two rooms, and then and it's over. Yep. I think and I did. was I was reading the budget. The budget was like twenty eight million dollars. That's probably those Chicago CGI Chicago backdrops, <laughs> or the actors. I mean, that's the only yeah. thing I can think of. Well, the only two big ones you'd have to pay for are Viola and uh, Chadwick Boseman, because everybody else was pretty much. Um, either an unknown or more of a TV actor, like Glenn Turman's from the wire. Um, and uh, that, that, that one, that one cop is uh, from the dark Knight. He's the one who rats wants to rat out uh, Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, uh, but yeah. And then um, actually I was, I kind of thought it was curious in terms of the way it was framed uh, and the way the comp, the shot composition was laid out. I was like, it's almost like if, if if it wasn't for the fact that there's a lot of one take situations where the camera is following people like Bozeman and Viola Davis around to make it visually dynamic with dialogue that you could put a black and white filter on this and like make it kind of like a movie of that era. Um, Cause the composition is such that there's a lot of situations where you have two people in the frame talking to each other. They don't do a lot of JNL cut. Like it was, it was interesting to think of from that perspective, and it moves really quick. Like, like this movie doesn't really lag. No, um, it moves at a clip. It's only an hour and a half. It's, I mean, it's well made. Acting's great in it. Like I said, I think it's a really good movie. The thing that kept it great for me is I don't, I didn't particularly like the last moment with Chadwick Boseman, but I mean, 
it's a dramatic choice and it's what the movie called for. I'm not faulting the process. It's just, I don't think it was needed. It didn't seem to fit the motivation behind the character. I'll have to look into seeing what, if there's an original ending or if this is pretty much following August Wilson beat for beat. No. Uh, next week we might have a guest. And our film of the week is Wonder Woman 1984. Um, everybody's able to stream it, right? Yeah, I'm going to have a free subscription of HBO Max. I'm bummed because it's in theaters in some places, but uh, not Denver, I guess. Yeah, well, you know, I um, I just got an alert on my phone that restaurants are going to be at 25% up here. So I don't know if they'll let movie theaters open. We'll see. I don't know. I don't have to see the movie. I live the movie. No, I'm just kidding. I got to see the movie. You're, you're alive in 1984? <laughs> no, I'm just Wonder Woman. And my last name is 1984. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm excited for it. Um, I wish it, I wish it was in a theater. Oh, what? <laughs> I, I wish it was in the theater too, but um, I've got my HBO Max as has been stated in the past. So I'll be watching it dutifully. Cool. Until next week. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day.